Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Will Nettleton, Pastor of Mission and Worship at LMPC, and this is a Pillar and Ground Confession episode. In our confession episodes, we seek to understand and apply the truths in our Westminster Confession of Faith. And this week, we're continuing our look at chapter 8 of the Confession on Christ the Mediator. And this week, we come to paragraph 5. Last time, as we discussed paragraph 4, we learned about what Christ did to fulfill the office of mediator for us. And in the paragraphs before that, in chapter 8, we discussed who Christ is as the God-man. And so now we know, having looked at this, these first few paragraphs of chapter 8, we know who Jesus is, and we know what He has done. And so paragraph 5 turns to the subject of what His sacrifice accomplished. What were the results of what He has done? So let me read paragraph 5, and then we can spend some time unpacking it together. The Lord Jesus, by His perfect obedience and sacrifice of Himself which he through the eternal spirit once offered up to God, has fully satisfied the justice of his father. He purchased not only reconciliation, but also an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the father has given to him. So paragraph five begins by echoing something we talked about last time, namely that as our mediator, Jesus both kept the law on our behalf and suffered the penalty for our law breaking on the cross. Theologians often refer to this as the active and passive obedience of Jesus. So those terms, in his active obedience, Jesus perfectly kept God's law in thought, in word, in deed. He actively did that. He fulfilled all the terms of the covenant of grace perfectly, securing for everyone he represents the blessings of God. His passive obedience refers to what he did on the cross, his suffering and dying on the cross, his paying the penalty for all of our law breaking as well that he was willing to receive that punishment, to have God's wrath poured out on him, even though he himself did not deserve it. He was willing to do that for us. So that is the active and passive obedience that we're talking about as Jesus mediates for us. Um, You can kind of think about it like this. I don't think we've used this illustration before. Um, It's as if you were going to buy a house and you don't have the money to pay for it. And so in his active obedience, Jesus gives you all that you need to buy it. He gives you all of uh, the treasury of his righteousness. But to cover his passive obedience, we actually need to take the illustration further. It's as if not only do we not have the money to buy this theoretical house, we actually have a huge outstanding debt that we owe that would prevent us from getting it. And so Jesus, in bearing the penalty for our sin on the cross, pays that debt. That would be his passive obedience. So he clears our debt and then he gives us the full wealth of his righteous life. And the confession tells us that this offering of Jesus for us has fully satisfied the justice of his heavenly father. This was the critical question after the fall. How can God be just and justifier? How is he going to be in a relationship with sinful human beings? Uh, no one can see God and live. He can't. Uh, sin cannot survive an encounter with the living God. We would not be able to get into His presence without being uh, destroyed because of His holiness. And so, what was God going to do? How was He going to solve the problem? He does it through Jesus, through Jesus' active and passive obedience. The penalty of sin is dealt with, so God is just, and Jesus offers His righteous life on our behalf, so God is the justifier. We can be declared righteous in his sight. So Galatians 3.13 tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Romans 8.1 tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or as Jesus himself said on the cross, it is finished. 
Everything is paid in full. And as paragraph 5 goes on to point out, it is not only reconciliation that Jesus secured by his sacrifice, but an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. That inheritance language comes from Ephesians 1. Jesus didn't just wipe out our debt. He secured us an inheritance the likes of which the world has never seen. So we're not just back to zero. We are now infinitely in the black because of what Jesus has done for us. The confession is going to unpack the benefits of redemption in the coming chapters. So instead of doing a deep dive on it now, I just want to finish our time on paragraph five by focusing on one final phrase for all those whom the father has given him. So let me just read that last sentence. He purchased not only reconciliation, but also an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the father has given to him. So by saying all those whom the father has given to him, the confession is echoing Jesus's words from his high priestly prayer in John 17. One of the common debates that comes up in Christian circles is the extent of the atonement. In other words, for whom did Christ die? Did he die for everyone? And if so, in what sense? Did he die to save us or just to make salvation possible for us? And pulling from Jesus' prayer in John 17 there, the confession notes that the reconciliation and inheritance Jesus secures is only for those whom the Father has given him. And it is clear that the Father did not give everyone to Jesus. So, for example, Jesus begins his prayer in John chapter 17, verse 1 with, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So there Jesus says the Father has given him authority over all flesh, and then to give eternal life to all whom the Father has given him. But then a few verses later in verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And in verse 9, he goes on, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me for they are yours. And so Jesus distinguishes between the world and those whom the Father has given him. The Father has not given him everyone, which means that not everyone will have eternal life or be saved. And so Reformed Christians have always maintained that Jesus died to save his people. Uh, We're trying to make sense of the reality that, that all Christians agree that not everyone will be saved. There are some who would argue for universalism, that all will be saved, but most Orthodox Christians have maintained not all will be saved. And we base that on Jesus' own teaching, as he talks about in in various parables, where he'll say things like, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do many signs in your name? And I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. So there are going to be people that Jesus says on that day, uh, depart from me. So the question about salvation comes down to who who has Christ died for? What did his death on the cross actually do? Did it save or did it make salvation possible? And many of us want to try and preserve the opportunity, this idea of uh, fairness, that it would be for everyone. And so we say it made it possible. But in so doing, we actually undermine the extent of the atonement. Because then Jesus has not died to save us, only to make salvation possible. And we as Reformed Christians Uh, following the Westminster Confession of Faith and what it says the Bible teaches, have said that Jesus didn't just die to make salvation possible. He died to save his people. Matthew 1, 21 tells us his name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
not just give them an opportunity to be saved, but he will save them. In Matthew 20, 28, he says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not for all, but for many from every nation and tribe and tongue, a multitude that no one can number. He didn't just die to make it possible. He died to achieve it. He died for those whom the Father had given to him. And the glorious good news uh, of that for us is that the ones that the, the Father has given to him are those who call upon the name of the Lord, those who believe. And Jesus says, all those that the Father has given to me will come to me, and I will never cast them out. And so the good news is, if you want to be saved, if you want to believe in Jesus, that is because He is the Father is giving you to Him. That is not a desire that comes uh, from us. As we've covered in previous episodes, no one is righteous, no, not one. So if you are desiring to be saved, that is a good sign uh, that the Father is giving you to Jesus. And the better news is coming that He will never cast you out, but raise you up on the last day. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pillar and Ground. We hope you will join us again soon.